boy 50. Them say I carry that, that automatic Yahoo boy. Why are us the bar? We go make your mama lose joy. Leave one for him leg, your future we go destroy. Police is your friend, all my other one a decoy. Sass the beat, sass the still, but Sega get your freaking back. Sega this, Sega that, but Sega know they ever slack. Sega tweet, Sega help, Sega be like light for dark. Sass the fear, sass the jail, all because of Sega fact. Sass be like devil, them they still kill and destroy. Person go watch ball, all my now they don't end the boy. Click pal, trigger happy, see the red on the soil. Vexed and enraged, on my inside they boil. Only cop I can vouch for is CP Wakili. The rest will show you pepper, they are layers of chili. You they young, you get car, you they feel yourself a bee. Them go tax you, them go rob you, them go frame you up, you see. Officer of the law, but on duty you they blow grass. Young boys know they save, now your duty to they harass. Police turning bankers, them get POS, pure trust. RIP caller, they it is time to answer. How's everybody doing today? How's everybody doing this evening? As you know, this is Police Battalion Matter. I'm your host, Joe Stead. And to my left, I have Sergeant Dorsey, LAPD, retired sergeant, 20-year vet. I told you she was coming. She is in the box. She is in a box ready to do damage. We're going to do an assessment. We're going to let you ask questions. And you know how we do. We're going to go back and forth. We're going to dissect it. We're going to break it down. It's unapologetic. It's uncensored, unscripted. And Cheryl, yes. tell the audience Tell the audience about yourself. So I'm a retired 20-year veteran sergeant, Los Angeles Police Department. I joined the department in 1980 when the department was under a consent decree to hire more women and minorities. I spent 20 years in uniform, in patrol, working gangs, working undercover vice for an occasion. I worked uh, traffic division. Um, I've done it all in patrol 20 years. So let's get to it. That's right. That's right. That's right. So today we're going to be talking about the incident where you see the officer in uh, North Carolina. He uh, pulled the subject out of the vehicle and how he pulled the subject out of the vehicle. A lot of people have a lot to say about that particular incident. Now, before I before we play the video, a little backstory. He didn't stop by the police. He was um, supposedly been DUI and refusing to get out of the car when the officer actually told him to get out the car. So what you see is the officer now abstracting him from the car. So we're going to play the video and this is the video that we're going to play. Oh, they see me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm 
Okay, people, now that you've seen it, now let's get down to the nitty-gritty about the assessment. Now, like I tell you, sometimes I give, all the time I give my assessments from the policy, procedures, training manual, case law. Sometimes I feel differently. My personal feelings will kind of conflict with policy and procedures, but I always tell you guys this is how I personally feel about it. But policy and procedures, we have what's called a use of force continuum. Now, during, and the sergeant could actually verify this. Now, during, you know, the use of force continuum, abstracting a subject out of a vehicle, every officer has done that in every the police department in the United States. This particular incident, me, myself, personally, I think the officers was totally out of policy. I mean, there was, there was, regardless of what this individual did, because a lot of people try to justify bad policing by pointing at the subject and said, he did this before, he did that before. If you are saying and doing that, that means you have no idea what a police officer's job is to do. We're not judge, jury, and execution. That's not what we do. We are supposed to bring a subject into the court system. Let them tell their side of the story on whatever charges that they have to actually uh, answer to. But as far as, oh, he deserved it because he ran from the police, it's a high-speed chase, none of that matters. What matters is our force needs to be solely based on what the subject has given us at that present time and that present time alone. So he could have just shot a whole bunch of people. If he gave up, our job as law enforcement officers is bringing him to custody, period. We can't judge on what he did before. Our force, once again, is based on the subject's resistance at that particular time. If he, if he resisted, because I approach individuals who've done something in the past and they just gave up. I can't use what they did to apply unnecessary force. That's not how it works. Now, I police on the East Coast. Sergeant here, she police on the West Coast. We're going to show you the, the, the similarities. We're talking about two different coasts, but law enforcement is pretty much, it, it varies down the same path when they call it talking about the use of force. Go ahead, Sarge, tell me what you, what you think about the incident. So let me, before I get into that, let me just say what's up to my Facebook family because we are both on Facebook and Instagram. So what's up, Facebook family? I appreciate you for stopping by and listening to what's going on today. I'm happy to be here with Joe. So here's the deal. Police officers are only allowed to use that force necessary to overcome resistance, which is what Joe was talking about. And so what I see when I look at this, Joe, is I see punishment. I coined a term and I trademarked it, contempt of cop. And by that, what I mean is, if you piss me off as a police officer, there's a price to pay. And I determine what that price is. It could be something as simple as, I stop you for a traffic violation and because it's discretionary, I have the option of either giving you a ticket or giving you a warning. Piss me off, you get the ticket, right? <laughs> And so here we have a gentleman who's not getting out of his car. Mm -hmm. And the officers totally, totally handled this inappropriately because really all the young man wanted to know is probably why. He keeps saying, what are you doing? What are you doing? And for me, as a supervisor, when I look at this use of force, the questions that come to mind for me are, what's the urgency? What's the exigent circumstance that requires the officers to get him out of the car right now. It would have made so much more sense if the officers hadn't become personally invested 
in getting him out of the car mm -hmm. and just maybe answering a question or two for him, talking to him calmly, mm -hmm. backing up and giving him an opportunity. Hey, get out of the car and maybe if you don't, bad things will happen. Right. But just to start jerking and pulling and then you see the guy putting his foot, his yeah. knee on yeah. it, that was punishment. That was, you pissed me off and there's a price to pay. It wasn't about gaining compliance. It wasn't so much about overcoming resistance. It was about, you're not listening, you're not obeying, and now I'm going to make you pay. And that's not what we're taught and trained to do. That's not our job as law enforcement officers. That's excellent. I'm glad you said that. And you know what else I'm glad that? I'm glad you're a sergeant because I get these questions all the time from my viewers. What, what does management do on something like this? And especially a sergeant. Sergeant is probably the closest to the foot soldiers. And we're foot soldiers, the guys on the front line. And then you figure out, okay, who's the first point of contact when you start talking about supervision? It's a supervisor. A lot of these videos that we see, you see a supervisor present. Why? What is the problem? Why do you not see sergeants intervening and checking and, and disciplining? Why, why do you not see that? What is the what is the obstacle you as a sergeant have endured when it comes down to actually disciplining or trying to check a, a, a officer who's out of line? Well, obviously, it's going to vary from person to person, and it's going to depend on you know your agency. Now, if if that were me, because here's what I view as my role as a supervisor: I'm there to manage that use of force. Right. And so if I show up and I see my officers pulling and tugging on somebody like they're playing a tug of war, it's my responsibility to intervene. It's my responsibility to bring calm to that situation. And really any good partner, if you're a good partner yeah. and you see your partner losing it, control, the yeah. first thing you do is say, hey, partner, wait a minute, let me talk to him. Let me handle it, mm -hmm. right? Because what you're really trying to do is keep your partner out of trouble, right? right? Yeah. In addition to not making um, unnecessary injury to somebody that you're about to take into custody, right. a good partner would do that. Mm -hmm. And so if you have two police officers and one doesn't have the sense that guy gave a goat and he doesn't intervene and stop his partner from con committing misconduct, certainly as a supervisor, mm -hmm. I have the affirmative responsibility. You know, I had beef with the sergeant that was on the scene for uh, Eric Garner. Female right. sergeant, yeah. you know, and they tried to minimize and mitigate her failure to supervise by saying she'd only been a sergeant for a couple of weeks, yeah, I, I seen you that. know, but that. that was her job. That was her job to say, hey, that's enough. You got a man saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. What was the urgency? What was the exigent circumstance that required them to act right now? And we don't see anything about that traffic stop, anything about this extrication out of the car right. that could not have happened 10 minutes later. Right. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And it's just, it's just bad when you start looking at the system on how do we correct. What's the solutionary uh, response from you as many years you got in the police department? The system is broken, obviously. What, what are some of your ideas you think that would correct, like uh, Officer Pantaleo when it came down to Eric Garden? Well, listen, I think what people want and what I hear from certainly families is accountability. Mm -hmm. You want someone to be held responsible, right? right? Mm -hmm. If you have an officer who's uber aggressive, I promise you that's not the first time. That's not the first time they pull somebody out the car like that. That's right. how they get down. Mm -hmm. And because there's no accountability, right? right? Because nobody has ever told them either by way of discipline mm -hmm. or um, some sort of write-up, administrative penalty, 
no one has demonstrated to them that that's inappropriate. So mm -hmm. why would they do anything different? Yeah. Why would I change my behavior when no one has done anything to deter it? So these guys are going to continue to do that right. until someone loses their life. And that's the only thing that seems to get their attention. And then when someone loses their life, everybody's clutching their pearls as if, oh, my God, you know, we had no idea that this guy was so aggressive when we see time and time again, if you had the luxury of looking at their personnel package, mm -hmm. that's probably one of many extrications that he's done like that. And right. it's just unnecessary. Yeah, and you're absolutely right when it comes down to Pantaleo. He has a history of bad policing. He cost the city already thousands of dollars on previous lawsuits when it came down to how he policed. So yeah, you're 100% right. Officer Salomone with um, Alton Sterling, a history. Officer Lowman with Tamir Rice, a history of bad policing. So what do you do? Now, being in management, do you when you look at the system, Lieutenant, so how do you feel they handle these incidents? Do you think it's more of a, I'm going to take care of the guy or, because you're a part of meetings that most switch soldiers are not part of when it comes down to management. Do you, you sit around and you go, yeah, this guy's a bad apple. What are we going to do? Or do we hide them? Because I've seen bad apples get bounced around. Why are we bouncing bad apples around? Why are we hiding them? In your experience, when it comes down to management, how do they look at these bad apples? Well, you know, I think it depends, again, on the agency. Mm -hmm. And I think ultimately at the end of the day, I don't know that it's so much. Sometimes, of course, it's who you know, right? right. If I'm a sergeant and you're my boy, mm -hmm. right? right? And I come out there, you know, it's not Sergeant Dorsey and Officer Estes. Right. It's Cheryl and Joe, yeah. right? Yeah, so if I come out and you're right. cutting up, yeah. you know, on a wink, wink, nod, nod, mm -hmm. I might give you some love. Right, yeah. I may pull you to the side later on and say, yeah. you know what, Joe, next time, that's not a good look, right. dude. Right. Right. Do me a favor because you put me in harm's way. Yeah. I'm sure that some of that goes on to some extent. But if you are higher up the food chain, if you're a watch commander mm -hmm. or a captain in a division or a police chief, I think then it becomes a matter of protecting the organism. Because a lot of times they understand, particularly when there's a death or there's great bodily harm to someone, they understand a lawsuit's coming, yeah. right? Yeah. And so their job, a police chief's job, is to protect that entity, that organization. And so they're going to do whatever they have to do. They're going to they're going to talk to you in a way that I call double speak and code talk. They're not going to admit wrong. They're going to say, well, you know, this is under investigation and there's a lot that we don't know. And then they're going to hope you forget because most people do in 48 hours and they change nothing. Mm -hmm. And sometimes officers benefit. Sometimes they're willing to make an example of someone. Rarely, right? Right. right. Timothy Lohman, you talked about, who's... Uh, trying to get his job back yeah. still. I mean, something is wrong with that guy. Yeah. I don't know why he wants to be the police so doggone bad, yeah. but he's appealing his termination. I don't mm -hmm. think he's going to be successful. And so every now and again, you see a situation. Michael Schlager, the officer who shot and killed Walter Scott mm -hmm. in the back yeah. when he was uh, running away, the officer yeah. lied and said he had taken his taser. Right. Every now and then a police chief says, dude, I can't. I can't you're on your own. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, the cheese stands alone, right? Yeah. Most times, police chiefs are protecting the organization. I believe. Right. That you know, you made a really good point. And I know most people don't know that. That brings it back to you just gave an excellent reason why police shouldn't be policing themselves. Because if you got a a, a chief, a, a captain, any type of higher brass investigate an incident and his whole, his whole focus is to protect the entity of the department, 
what kind of fear investigation am I, am I going to give if my job is to protect the police department? Well, you know, and that's why so many departments are starting to have independent civilian review boards, mm -hmm. right? An independent entity that will take a look at that organization. The problem that I have with independent civilian review boards, and they're called different things. In Los Angeles, it's called the Police Commission. Um, in New York, it's called the Police. Civilian Review Board. Mm -hmm. The problem that I have with them is that they don't have any teeth. And so what I would say to those of you who are listening, to those of you who are bothered um, by police brutality, if you have an opportunity and you certainly should exercise your right to go to these community meetings and talk to police chiefs and ask about uh, independent civilian review boards. But more importantly, make sure that your independent civilian review board has teeth. Right. Because most of them just make recommendations. Yeah. And so they may not like the use of force. They may not like the fact that the officer fired 15 times at somebody who, you know, probably didn't need to be fired at once. Mm -hmm. And they tell the police chief that or the commissioner and they say, okay, well, thank you. Yeah. But then they do what they want. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Do you feel like unions are a big problem when it comes down to correcting the problem? Because I know when it comes down to the NYPD, and you start talking about Pat Lynch, the union the union president, he supports, he thinks he's a defense attorney. He thinks I'm just going to support all police. And then his argument is to keep us divided, us against them. And the community that I come from, this is exactly why that they don't like the police. Instead of saying, look, we have, because everywhere you go, you're going to have bad apples. Right. Why can't we, as law enforcement, say, man, he, you know, Lowman, that's not how we do policing. You know, unfortunately, what happened is what happened. We're going to hold him accountable. We're going to charge him. He didn't follow policy. And my committee will accept that. We're not going to accept, you know, we got a split second to make a decision. We need to support him. So we have a huge problem. I think me personally, I think unions play a big part in that problem. What do you think? Well, see, unions are not like what people really think about when they think about unions. Really, police unions are just lobbying arms for police departments. Now, some are more vocal and some are more um, police apologists-like, mm -hmm. right? right? Mm -hmm. um, some um, police, at least in New York, I felt like that police commissioner buckled to the pressure of Pat Lynch, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, James O'Neill, the mm -hmm. commissioner who uh, left because... You know, I don't know why. I guess because he didn't want to take the the heat mm -hmm. that he was getting from his men, the vote of no confidence, probably behind the scenes for firing Pantaleo. Right. But listen, I mean, he he fired Pantaleo not because of a chokehold. I've said this before on my uh, social media platforms. Pantaleo wasn't fired because of a chokehold. Pantaleo was fired because he lied. And if you listen to the um, press release that the commissioner had that day, he said he was ineffective. Yeah. And what he meant yeah. by ineffective is he lied and the civilian review board realized he lied. Mm -hmm. Now, James O'Neill knew that for five years and he was okay with it. He left him inside working in the station for yeah. five years. Mm -hmm. But once the civilian review board found out and now it's no longer in his little kingdom, if you will, right. he had to act mm -hmm. and giving false and misleading statements in the midst of an administrative investigation yeah. makes you ineffective, right? right? Yeah. Knowing good. all of that, Pat Lynch used his termination, Pantaleo's termination against Commissioner O'Neill, pressuring him to resign. And now you see they have this new guy, McDermott Shea or Shea McDermott, whatever his name is, who says, you know, he talks like Pat. He talks like, you know, my officers are going to get respect. 
even though they're not giving it, because we've seen some examples recently of NYPD not giving folks respect. But he's already coming in talking crazy, talking cold talk, talking to his officers, saying, I got your back. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to beat up somebody, you want to mistreat somebody, you want to be abusive, you want to be profane, I got your back. But I'm going to demand that the community respect you. What's up with that? So when you don't have anyone who's willing to hold them accountable, it's all about accountability. And every police chief serves at the pleasure of a mayor or a city manager. Um, Sheriffs are elected officials. And so again, family, if you guys are bothered by this, you have a, a role to play in this. You need to vote these people out. You need to vote for district attorneys who are willing to prosecute police officers and not give great deference to what we say and take our word every time, you know, we say that someone did a thing when there's ample evidence That's to right. prove that they didn't, mm-hmm. right? Yes. How many times have you seen the report of a police officer in the actual video so far apart from each other? So what is it that the officer is seeing that the video is showing that just didn't happen? Well, it's not that they don't see. They understand. Mm -hmm. And, you know, come on, police officers are savvy. Now, because of all the recording equipment, you hear officers saying things because they're creating an audio account. Stop hitting me. Quit Mm -hmm. pushing me. Stop kicking me. Don't bite me. (laughs) When the person ain't doing nothing but just sitting there (laughs) taking that ass with them. Right? Yes, I've seen that. And so officers Mm -hmm. create an audio recording to later substantiate that unjustified arrest because once they put hands on you, I say this all the time, Mm -hmm. once a police officer puts hands on you, like they did that young man Mm -hmm. that they pulled out of that car, whether he was drunk or not, he was going to jail for something. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He was going to go to jail. They had to justify it. You already know, and you've been taught a long time, you put hands on somebody, you better have a charge to actually accommodate you putting hands on them. Absolutely. And if you don't have it, then you make it up. Yeah. And who cares if it's a DA reject when it goes to the district attorney. I needed to justify, and there's a very low threshold, as you know, mm-hmm. probable cause, reasonable suspicion, very low threshold to make an arrest. Mm-hmm. And if the district attorney reads the report and says there's insufficient evidence, okay, no harm, no foul. But I could not beat this guy's ass on the side of the road right. and then uh, you know, give him an apple and send him on his way. You made a very good point um, when you started talking about a DA reject. Tell the people what that means. So they know exactly what that means. So basically what happens is that police officers um, will stop someone, make an arrest for a thing, and then we write a police report. And in that police report, we have to create what's called a prima facie case for making that arrest. So if it's uh, an assault, we have to be able to articulate in that assault that this person hit someone and either injured, wounded, somehow battered this person. Our report then goes to the district attorney. Once the district attorney gets the report, then they read it for completion, conciseness, and to make sure that all of the facts relative to that crime are there. And if all of the facts are there, then they will file the case with the court to prosecute. If the facts are not there, then they'll say that there are insufficient facts to substantiate this arrest, and we're going to reject it. We're not going to waste our time. We're not going to go to court because we don't believe that we can convince a jury to convict this person on this crime. And many times when a police officer puts hands on you for no good reason, they have to arrest you for something. And so they arrest you for interfering or they arrest you for obstruction of justice. 
the right? favorite, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, the DA gets a report and they're like, well, you know, I don't know that he really interfered. It looks like he came out that window pretty easily. Mm-hmm. So we're not going to file charges. And then it's like no harm, no file. But guess what? You've been arrested. You haven't been convicted. Right. But you do have a, an arrest record right. now. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people don't really understand mm-hmm. when they get these charges they're let go, and they think it's a done deal, and it's really not. I have yeah. a question. So does that arrest or whatever goes into the officer's file, um, and then does the victim have to make the complaint in order for it to go into their file? So if the victim don't make the complaint, that arrest or that whatever it's called, I don't remember what it's called. Yeah. That doesn't go into the officer's file at no, all. No, so like, the fact, no the fact that the district attorney says, oh, you know what, I don't have quite enough here, is not anything wrong. It's just the district attorney has a threshold. Mm-hmm. And they have requirements, right? And if you don't meet their requirements, then they'll just say, officer, I can't um, charge this individual. So there is nothing punitive with regards to the officer, but there certainly is something punitive mm-hmm. For the arrestee because now you're in the system anytime you're right. taken to jail mm-hmm. booked Finger fingerprinted yes. whether you're convicted or not you have an arrest yeah. record and i think that's one of the biggest problems that we have in law enforcement especially the police department and is where i can put hands on you right unlawfully arrest you the da which is just the, the first point of contact after the officers make his arrest so it goes to the next step the da can actually now see that this arrest was unlawful Dismiss it because I'm not going to proceed with a a bad case and there's no liability for the officer. Right. And, you know, I'd really like to know what happened with this young man ultimately, because I think you alluded to the fact that they thought Mm -hmm. he was drunk driving. And so let's say that the officers thought that. Mm -hmm. Why? Right. What was the reason? Why did they think that? Mm -hmm. Did he display objective symptoms of intoxication? Mm -hmm. Did they articulate that in their arrest report? Or did they stop him because he was a little brown kid Mm -hmm. and they wanted to stop him and he was a little uncooperative and so they got aggressive, Mm -hmm. put hands on him, Mm -hmm. and so now we got to take him to jail for something. Well, we stopped him for the DUI, but we found out he wasn't. We put him on a blood alcohol um, breathalyzer, right, mm-hmm. to check his blood alcohol content, and they found out that in fact he wasn't under the influence of alcohol. So we're just gonna go ahead mm-hmm. and arrest him on that yeah. interference. You know what's so sad is because I've seen officers who claim to have high arrest because you know it, everything's a numbers game in the police department because it's it's money, it's a lot Absolutely. of money. So you have an officer who have all these high arrests, but then when you look at the conviction rate, it, it doesn't coincide. You got this amount of arrests and you got this much conviction rate, right? And, and I don't know that there's any parallel, to be honest with you. I, I, I know as a supervisor, I certainly didn't look at my officer's arrest and then compare and contrast it to conviction because truth be told, you know, once I make an arrest, I don't even know what happens right. unless I get a subpoena to go mm-hmm. to court. I'm not following that case yeah. to see whether or not. Number one, there's even a court case mm-hmm. because the person could plead, mm-hmm. right? So you don't go to court. Right. So I don't know if it's a plea. I don't know if they went to court and a jury convicted them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what happens once I let you go and pass you off to the jail. Pretty much my job is done. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think a system needs to, a database system needs to track that. Because I've been in court and one of the guys that was in my precinct he used to always brag about how he's leading the precinct in arrest you know they posted they try to 
make officers compete against each other, which I think is the stupidest thing, because you're going out forcing people to go out and push numbers now. While I was sitting in court waiting for my case, the officer who's leading our precinct in the rest, he had his he had his case called. So the judge and what this officer was doing was he was going in the vacant abandoned buildings and he was just like people sleeping, crackheads, and he would search them because you live here, no, what you're doing there, there's nothing posted, you don't have permission. He would literally just lock people up, crack pipe. You oh you got a you got a misdemeanor, you got a felony, you got a felony. And the judge was asking him, what are you doing on private property? He said, well, it's abandoned. He says, it, it's a, okay, so the city He's owns it. Right, who, right, you don't have permission to be there. They don't have, a, how do you know that they don't have permission to be there? The person who owns this lot might have gave them. He says, you know what? Everybody who was arrested for this particular officer lined up down the aisle. He went and he said, tell the clerk your name and dismiss about 17 charges from this officer. So I, call, I got my case called. So I seen him at the precinct. I said, now I see what the hell you was doing. I said, all them weak ass arrested, you just, you, those are all bullshit arrests. He said, yeah, well, they don't know about it. So let me push back and let me say this. So if there were a database, if this were a perfect world and there were a database mm -hmm. and there was some way to compare and contrast officers who make a lot of arrests, because I know, you know, I call them elephant hunters, <laughs> you know, the ones that are out there looking for felons all mm -hmm. night. Um, and then there are a comparatively speaking, low number of convictions. convictions. Mm -hmm. How do you hold that against the officer? Because why we arrest someone mm -hmm. is very different from why a prosecutor prosecutes that case because they too have supervisors and they have rules and regulations and protocols and reasons why the case may not go to trial. So how do you fairly hold an officer responsible just because he's got a high number of arrests and a low number of convictions because with all of the variables. With your scenario, that happens, but it doesn't happen enough to where it's so disproportionate you have this amount of arrests and you only got this much So let's say you do. There's, there's a huge problem there. If you're... If, if you're Is it? Yeah, yes. You should be how, flagged how out the gate. How do you prove it? How you're, do you prove it? If I'm, if I'm, say if I'm in charge of that, if I'm in charge of the data, I'm in charge of accountability factor of officers. You got an officer here that got a high, he got 200 for arrest and he got 25 convictions. Now it's time for me to go sit in the court and see what's going on with this Okay, officer. so so I'm the officer mm -hmm. and I say, hey, Sergeant Estes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I just promoted you. Yes, thank you. Thank um, you. you can't blame me Why for not? what the district attorney does. I have no control over that. You supposed to bring right. I bring uh, them a case, uh, right? A, a, a probable cause, a reasonable okay, suspicion. Okay, but now, now that's where the question comes in. At. That's where the question comes in. That why is your probable cause different from what the the threshold of the DA was? See, because when we're I, different agencies. But probable cause is probable cause, right? A crime is probable a crime. Probable cause to arrest, right? Right. Is and very different, different from probable from, cause to from, convict. From, I am yeah. That's mm -hmm. why me. Right, my arrest rate and my conviction rate was a lot higher because I understood that concept. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't go on with everybody else would consider. When I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you. Mm -hmm. So that's why my arrest rate and my pro my conviction rate was high. But when it comes down to an officer, it could be a red flag. Right, it, it, right. It should it, warrant. It should be a red flag. Right. And if and if everything is above board, mm -hmm. then. That's fine. Right. Then you we can't just have a check that. and balance. Right, right, right. But but ask just, the question. No, right? no yeah, yes, ask the yes. question. There's no why there's no reason why you got four hundred 
um, arrests and you got 25, there's some, there's something wrong. Or maybe not, but let's look. Right. Maybe not. Let's look. Yeah, that's the way to flag somebody. Don't you think? <laughs> you want to fight me? Yeah, yeah. I have a comment. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the, this brings me back to like the stop and frisk in New York mm -hmm. and how minorities were targeted. And I think when they go into the system, which is kind of sad, is that, you know, they get flagged and their their record is tarnished. So that stops them from getting certain jobs, certain mm -hmm. employment, certain anything. So I, I feel like, how do we fix that problem to where these people who are arrested aren't penalized for a bad officer arresting them for something that they felt or they perceived as whatever it is they wanted it to be. So, so, so some of that might be legislation, right? Yeah. Some of that may require uh, laws in place to say that um, there should be some kind of a penalty or some kind of a administrative remedy for officers who erroneously, mm -hmm. unjustly, continually put people into the system. And right. so it's a situation of, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, mm -hmm. right? right. Um, you know, that's kind of what audits are for, right? right? That's correct. Police departments love audits, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And so you conduct a series of audits to see, and, and you know, listen, I know every department is different, resources, finances, mm -hmm. all of that plays into, you know, numbers of, you know, supervisors, all of that plays into whether or not they have the time to spend administratively looking at those kinds of things. But I think when you have the same officers right. doing the what same. looks like the same thing, mm -hmm. you know, if it walks like a duck and it quacks That's like right. a duck, don't tell me it's a chicken, mm -hmm. right? That's right. So there's a way to fix it, mm -hmm. I think, if they wanted to. I think they don't fix it because the system does what it was designed to do. Um, how much more time? Because I wanted to go into one more thing before we go, because I think this will be a good time. Oh, we got time. Okay. Um, go to the video of the officer not shooting. Okay, I hope yeah, I have Yeah, because I think that's a really good, and I want to get the, the sergeant's, and she hate when I okay. call sergeant. I want to get the sergeant's <laughs> viewpoint on this one. All right. Hi, everyone. Um, Cheryl, you have some people saying hi. Okay, <laughs> what's up, Facebook? <laughs> All right, I'm going to play this video. It's about Four and a half minutes long. Oh, I got to push it so that Facebook could see it also. All right. And then you guys are not being blocked. So don't make no funny faces. <laughs> All right. I got a call from dispatch. There is a woman on the phone who is frantic. She said she needs help now. As I turned onto the street, I see a black man standing outside of his car. And uh, I tell him, I said, well, we got to call it about a domestic out here. You want to tell me what's going on? He says, no, man, I don't want to talk. There, there's nothing going on. Um, you can leave. So I'm trying to, to talk to him in a way that he will tell me okay, what's going on. And then as I'm running the trunk of his car, I see he's got his hands behind his back. So I ask him to show me your hands. And he's backing away from me. He says, no, man, I can't do that. And I see a silver pistol in his right hand. So I dropped my weapon and uh, I told him to drop the gun, drop the gun. He says, no, man, I don't want to do that. Just shoot me. And uh, I said, I'm not going to shoot your brother. Just put the gun down. We hear over and over again about police shootings across this country. What makes this situation different, what makes this case different is that our client 
Officer Stephen Mater tried to do the right thing. In my mind, I'm thinking, why is this happening this way? And then once he says, you know, just shoot me, it's kind of like a click in your head, like, he's, he's being suicidal. It was a matter of seconds between me initially contacting, you know, coming into contact with him to when the other officers had arrived. The other officers get out of their vehicles, their weapons are drawn. And they're yelling, put, the, put down the gun, put down the gun. And then within seconds, uh, you know, as he's waving the weapon, uh, one officer ended up firing four shots, and the last one hit the, hit the man in the head. He did exactly what we want police officers to do. He attempted to de-escalate the situation. He attempted to save R.J. Williams' life. And the Weirton Police Department fired him for taking those steps. Officer Mater had received extensive training on de-escalation um, and dealing with people who are uh, suicidal through his time in the U.S. military. He was a Marine in Afghanistan, and he's a military police officer in the National Guard. So he knew how to handle that tense situation when it arrived. But he received that training primarily through his military service. We believe that our police departments really need to invest in both de-escalation training and training for dealing with people who are facing mental health crises. It can save lives. Someone calls the police at their worst time. You don't want to go in there giving them the mindset that the police aren't here to help. You want to give them the mindset that they're there to solve the problem and to help you in any way you need. I remember that incident, and you know, when I when I listen to it as a supervisor, who knows better what's going on than the person who's there from the very beginning? Yeah. You know, it's just like what you see at the end of a foot pursuit where, you know, officers are trying to take someone into custody and, you know, they've got one hand cuffed and they're about to cuff the second arm and then here comes some jackass. You know, he just comes. He's on the scene the now and doggone it, he's going to get in a kick, yeah. a push, a shove, something. And it's just so unnecessary. And that's why I talk about contempt of cop and why I feel a lot of times it's about punishment. It's mm -hmm. about me wanting to enact revenge against you because you ran, mm -hmm. because you didn't stop soon enough. And so here's a guy who's been dealing with this man. Mm -hmm. He's he's almost developed a rapport with him. Right. He recognizes something in this. I mean, he's trusting his gut. Why didn't those other officers who responded trust him? Right. Right? I, yeah, I trust agree. him. I totally agree. And you made a probably my first point is he was the initial officer. When you came, you come to assist him. If he's talking, all you do is take position of cover and then assist him and let him take control of the incident. Because why why did you feel the need to take over? And then you're yelling, because I hate, I hate to see a bunch of yelling. If one person is giving commands, right. that person should be the only one giving a command. How many times do you say, please, uh, get on the ground, get, and everybody's yelling, and the, the person is like, what the fuck, what put your I hands do? up, put your, I was like, why the fuck is one, just one. Right. The initial officer should be the one in control. You now are to provide cover for that particular officer. That's it, period. Now, 
when I look at this case, and I did a, you might be familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Now, we all know, because deadly force is pretty universal. I'm quite sure it was the same way, Ellie. You, either your life or the life of someone else had to be at risk at that present time, and there's no other options, so you had to use deadly force to prevent someone's life from being killed. Those officers who responded could make that strong argument that they intervened, dropped the gun, he didn't have a gun, so they, sh they he didn't drop the gun, so they shot him and killed him. Far as policy-wise, right, I, I can see why that would, they would be covered on that end. But my problem is, well, how is that policy, right? Don't cover the officer who didn't shoot. Because his perception is based on whether he pulls the trigger or not. He's like, I'm not in fear yet. I still have other options. If I want to talk him down, right, I should have that option to talk him down because that's up to me. My level of fear didn't meet the threshold that I needed to pull the trigger. How is the department now, with that same policy that protects the officers to, to, sh to shoot, is now punishing him for not shooting? Because they're protecting the organization, right? Mm -hmm. That's what I would have to believe. They're protecting the entity and they're protecting however many other officers were on scene who might be part of that good old boy club, yeah. who might have their cart connected to the right horse, right? Mm -hmm. And so it was easier to sacrifice Mater because, well, we don't really like him anyway. You know, he don't really seem to back us, right? right? right, right. He don't want to go out and drink with us on... Payday, right? He's not with us at the titty bars. You know what cops mm -hmm. do, right? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> so he was expendable. Because listen, at the end of the day, I, I always go back to the exigent circumstance. Mm -hmm. What was the urgency? You know, people always talk about cops have a split second to make a decision. Yeah, this is true. But you know what? The highest priority calls, mm -hmm. the baddest assholes mm -hmm. that are the baddest ass cops right swat right they're the Supposed big boys right, they're yeah. the big boys mm -hmm. right you call them out when you don't know what to do and when swat comes out what do they do mm -hmm. the first thing they do is they fucking pitch a tent mm -hmm. they set a fire mm -hmm. yeah, <laughs> right? they, just, they, they just take their time yeah. they're like how many bedrooms mm -hmm. do we have a landline None can i call time. them None they got time. family can i get mom on the phone they never, ever mm -hmm. rush into a situation. So why is it that patrol officers think, I got to get you out the car, not now, but right mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. it, doesn't, it doesn't correlate. But when you have a police chief at a press conference saying a thing, and you don't have anyone there who speaks the lingo like you and I do right. to question that, then when they give code talk, it stands. Right, right. But... Why fire him? What is the protection? What if I'm the chief, right? Why do I have to fire him? He didn't shoot, so what? Where's the liability? Me because you had officers that followed, right? Fell within the use of force uh, um, policy. He's his felt in the same policy. I didn't have my fear level and your fear level is two different things, and people need to understand that. But what I think they ultimately said is that he failed to act. Right. In right. other words, they right. almost probably called him a coward. That is you know, correct. That he, yes, didn't, they did. he didn't. He didn't. Mm -hmm. He didn't do the right thing. Mm -hmm. uh, he didn't act. And so you can't have both. You can't have six officers firing because of a threat, and then have one officer say there was no threat. Right. It can't be both. Yeah, but when the officers shoot, In they their make mind. that same argument. Yes. They these officers didn't fear the fear that these officers. They make that same argument when it's flipped. 
But when the officer doesn't shoot, now all of a sudden he's wrong? Well, see, like I said, it's a matter of, you know, and I wasn't there, so I don't know, but I'm just saying, obviously, somebody had to go. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Somebody had to go. And mm -hmm. so it was much easier to get yeah, rid of this yeah. guy. Because, listen, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, right. civil liability, yeah. it's all about dollars and cents. You're right about it's that. all about, you know, how big is this check and how many zeros are we going to have to put at the end of it? And so if we understand that as an agency, as an organization, then their job as a police chief, in my opinion, is to minimize and mitigate that paycheck. Yeah. And so I can't justify, well, I could, but I choose not to, right. why this officer said his perception, which has just as much value, right. just as much import, is somehow not credible. He did not perceive a threat. They perceived a threat. Who's right? right? Who's right? Under policy, they're both right. Because you can't gauge. You can't tell me what I perceive. Right, it's right. hard to argue what's in my head. How I do we? There's I, a question. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I was in front. <laughs> you made a good point that they had to decide who to pick. And it was easier to pick oh, yes. the ones who fired. Right. So that brings it back to if they had went with the ones who shot the man, mm -hmm. it would have just proven their case that they were wrong. Right. Right. And that um that that fear factor, that perception of fear is false. At least right? in that instance. Right. And in not only instance. would it not only would it have um proven to be true against those who shot it, I don't know how many shot, but let's just say it was three. So now, okay, so how much ink do I need yeah, in that pen? Because right. I got to write a check. Mm -hmm. I'm not writing a check mm -hmm. for one officer right. who fired his weapon unnecessarily, yeah. who used deadly force as a first resort rather than a last resort. Mm -hmm. I got to figure out how to explain away three officers who used deadly force as a first resort yeah. rather than a last. If they were that worried, well, damn, damn stay in your car. Don't right. even get out. Yeah. Just stay in the damn car, yeah. and I'll just talk to you from a distance. <laughs> yeah. And let me continue to talk this guy down. Mm -hmm. Let yeah, me continue right. to relate to him. Because, listen, at the end of the day, and I know that, you know, we have a lot of discretion as police officers. There's such a thing, I believe, as spirit of the law versus letter of the mm -hmm. law. And while, you know, there are things that we can do, should do, or required to do, sometimes it's just about my humanity and your humanity. It's just about me relating to you mm -hmm. as a person. It's about me giving you that thing that I would want you to give me if mm -hmm. I wasn't the police. Answer my question. Tell me why you stopped me. Mm -hmm. Where's our shared humanity? Yeah. I could be your mother. <laughs> I almost said grandmother because I could be your grandmother too, right? Depending on who you are, right? Would you treat your grandmother the way you're treating me? Right. No, you wouldn't. And right. so that's why for me as a police officer, I had no problem. I was never ambivalent about how to treat people because I'm a mother and I have four sons. And I treated people the way I would want a police officer to treat any one of my four sons if they ever stopped them. You know and I know there's a way to take bad people to jail and take them and allow them to have their dignity mm -hmm. as they go. Oh, yes. You're 100% you're right. I don't, and I still can't understand how we as a society see that this is a problem and no one is addressing this problem. We got an election year coming up. Nobody's talking about police reform. 
none of the candidates, and I've been trying to, and I've been like a troll on these candidates' pages, asking them about police reform. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? Cory Booker finally responded and said, well, I'm going to continue what Obama did when he came down to policing. I, I was like, mm-hmm. really? You, Whatever you, that means. You really, you, you really answered it with that question, so I was kind of glad he dropped out. But well, if, anyway. If they address it, that means it's wrong. Nobody wants to say what is going on as far as police brutality is concerned is mm-hmm. wrong. It's just, okay, this is what it is, so that's it. Well, you know? listen, listen. The system does what the system mm-hmm. was designed to do mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you, you need police officers. Let's just be real. Let's call a thing a thing. You need police officers to put folks in jail because prisons need to be Failed. populated. Right? It's money. And so at the end of the day, you know, if you are not... Somebody uh, asked you're a Trump supporter. Right. I'm I'm confused. (laughs) How did did you get that, sir? Am I a Trump supporter? Boy, T-Y. No, I'm not a Trump supporter, sir. Where did that even come from? Right, that was so random. Yeah, that was our speech. Anyway, uh, yeah, you're going to make me cut. No, I'm not a Trump supporter. Um, but um, but the system does what it's supposed to do to some extent. I mean, listen, I'm not saying that, you know, there aren't people who need to be in jail. You know, there's some people out there that mean um, you and me harm. And so they need to be off the street. But that ain't everybody. And it certainly ain't everybody that look like me and you, right? right? Mm-hmm. So I think there's an incentive. Oh, okay. All right, right, little boy, toy, or whatever you are. I'm going to let you live, sir. (laughs) This time. (laughs) But yeah, I think the system does what it's supposed to do. Because listen, with every every wrong that I see right now, Mm -hmm. all of this stuff is so easily fixed. Look, I was just a lowly sergeant (laughs) on the LAPD. And so if I can say something that resonates, that sounds reasonable. Right. As a little old sergeant, clearly, you know, a, a police chief with a bunch of letters after their name certainly should be able to figure this shit out. Every mm-hmm. police chief was a police officer. And so when they clutch their pearls and get surprised and shocked when the public asks them about a thing, mm-hmm. they're being disingenuous. And if a police officer, if a police chief wanted to create an environment where police officers could report those who are tarnishing the badge and giving all of us a bad name, Mm -hmm. they would, number one, create safe zones so that police officers could report bad officers involved in misconduct repeatedly because it's never just a one-off. But there's no appetite for that. And so that is why this system continues to perpetuate itself unless and until there's something that makes national news and they can no longer look the other way. And now the games begin. Oh, my God, who knew? Mm -hmm. You know, it wasn't quite what you thought. They only had a few seconds to decide. And so now, you know, we play this game. Okay, so now they will arrest but we're we're not quite where we need to be with convictions. They will arrest. Right, I've seen but that. But we're not getting the convictions yet. And so we've got a lot of work to do. And family, I'm going to tell you, the onus is on you guys. If you are really, truly tired of police brutality, if you really want to see something different done, you have got to get involved and get engaged. You have got to attend community meetings. When a police chief is up for uh, a second term or to be selected for police chief, You need to be there and you need to be asking the kind of questions that we're posing now or that we are prepping for you to ask 
What about this chief? What about a civilian review board? What about use of force? What about mm -hmm. use of force, deadly force only in the immediate defense of life? Idle. Ask a police officer or a police chief about idle. Immediate defense of life. Yeah. They'll be like, what the hell? Who you been talking to? <laughs> They'd have to answer that question in a real way. But if you don't know the lingo, and so I hope that you will continue not only to listen to Joe here at Police Brutality Matters, but to just slide over to Sergeant Dorsey's Instagram account, Sergeant Cheryl Dorsey. Follow me on YouTube, Sergeant Dorsey Speaks, and listen to us help you help yourself. Yes, um, make sure you put her um, page on the screen so people can follow her. What is it again? She's SGT, Cheryl Dorsey. On IG. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yay, we're getting we hard. Definitely, we definitely support each other and we support the movement. And you brought up a interesting, a very interesting, uh, uh, I guess, statement when you start talking about the accountability. And most people, and because I see with this fight, when it comes down to police brutality, it, it affects everybody. My community just happens to be affected a lot more than everybody else's community. But the community that I guess receive the least amount, they feel like because they don't see it right as much, it's really not at the top of their priority list. But well, what they don't know, right, is that we're now over a billion dollars in civil payouts. They're paying for that. I know we can spend a billion dollars on a lot more better things than bad policing. So when people start understanding and realizing that instead of paying for these officers who don't follow procedures, who don't follow protocols, Let's take this money. We could put it in schools. Mm -hmm. We could put it in the homelessness. Mm -hmm. We could put it into the service. I mean, it's so much things that we can put this billion dollars towards instead of bad policing. So once again, we are informing the community, go down to your council chambers. When they have these council meetings, don't, don't ride them off. Don't just be like, eh, nothing's going to get done. Nothing's going to get done if we don't go down there and start voicing our opinions. When these elections come up, when the chief's contract uh, is at the at the end and they starting to whether they're going to re mm -hmm. uh re renegotiate mm -hmm. or get a new chief these are questions that need to be asked by you the citizens because we're the ones paying for this we're the ones paying for bad policing and you know the thing of it is is that there's not one thing that's going to fix it and so i saw someone say hey we need a list of questions listen you don't need us to tell you what's important to you mm -hmm. you already know the questions you just need to ask you need to ask and you need to demand that your police chief, this is a real simple one, accountability. What does that look like? Ask yourself, what does accountability really look like? And if you don't know how to get it, then you ask a police chief, how do we hold officers accountable? How do you hold your officers accountable? One of the things that needs to happen, because listen, I talk about this all the time when I, when I do an analysis on a police use of force, particularly deadly force. I always, as a supervisor, see something that let me know that officer was about to nut up, if I could say that. <laughs> I'm a cop with a potty mouth, don't judge me. But um, there's always a sign just before he does something really, really stupid. And so if you recognize those signs, then you might maybe, I can't guarantee that you won't be harmed or injured, but it might give you reason to pause and just back up. I have a, a speaking tour that I do and it's called Comply and Complain. And the reason that I say comply is because I want you to survive the police encounter. I want you to live. 
And if you try to hold court curbside with a police officer, you're going to piss them off. You're going to become victim of contempt of cop. They're going to arrest you for interfering. It'll go away when it gets to the DA. But nonetheless, now you're in the system. And I want you to survive the encounter. I want you to create a paper trail. I want you to write a letter to the police chief, the police captain, to the commander of internal affairs, to the mayor. Lottie Dottie and everybody is what I say about whatever it is that you think was maltreatment. And it may not help you, but you need to create a pattern and you need to show that this officer did this on this occasion because I promise you it wasn't the first and it won't be the last. And so these are just little steps that each and every one of you can take. What's important to you? What does accountability look like and how do I get it? And then the other thing that you should be asking for on a regular basis is officers to be reevaluated psychologically. Police officers generally are given a psychological exam when you first join the department yep. and that's it. Mm -hmm. And I can promise you that there are things that we see, you know, in patrol that will jade you, mm -hmm. that will mess your head up. And if it's not something that you saw that you're exposed to daily trauma that we deal with, that causes us to maybe be a little aggressive or maybe some officers have alcohol problems or you know divorce rate is high because mm -hmm. of the things that we're exposed to and so wouldn't it make sense for a police chief to just crack his officer's head open every couple of years and look in there and make sure that everything is working around like it should and if it's not if you can get them some help fine and if not off to chick-fil-a you go <laughs> And don't stop at the police department when you're making your complaint. Um, the sergeant here told you exactly, the chief, the captain, everybody else. Make sure you get your city council, your council, your state rep, your house rep, everybody that's on that line of election officials. Because, you know, the police department likes to keep everything in-house. So if they can keep it under a hat, they definitely will. You want to draw attention to an incident, you start going to your elective officials because they're the ones who need your vote to be re-elected. Let me say this real quick before I forget and have a senior moment. <laughs> Every police department has a social media platform. Go public. Police departments are publicity averse. Get on Twitter. Get on Instagram. You guys know what to do. You're recording this stuff. You put it up on YouTube. Share whatever that maltreatment is on their public page and demand action there and then wait for a response. That's right. I just got the signal. We got two minutes. So like I tell you, it's always good to protest and stand up for yourself. But the officer, keep in mind, the officer has the home court advantage on the street. You will lose on the street. Your win is in the courtroom. And if you don't believe me, look it up because taxpayers have been paying out over a billion dollars and tax dollars to people who've been victimized by police. So please be safe, stay alive, and always film the police. Let me say something real quick. Jesse, uh, somebody, Jen Will said, will the exam happen within the police force? If you're talking about the psychological, yeah, most police departments have what we call a behavioral service, science service, behavioral science service, service science, something mm -hmm. like that. BSS is what we call it. So there <laughs> are in-house psychologists that will crack our little heads open and look inside. Mm -hmm. So yes. We're closing out, so stay by. To the okay, everybody. Thanks for having me. Facebook family. Thanks for joining us. Visit me. Sergeant Dorsey Speaks on YouTube. My website, SergeantSGTSherylDorsey.com or SergeantDorseySpeaks.com. Be good. Be safe. All right. Thank you.